Well, hello, and thank you for joining us. This is From Gay to Z, a podcast for queer people and their friends who are some way along their parenting journey, wherever that may be. I am Lottie Jeffs. And I am Stu Oakley. Hello. And yes, this is the podcast for anyone and everyone. So if you're only just starting to think that having kids might be something you'd like to explore one day, you are very welcome to join us as well. Or even if you don't have kids or you're straight with kids or like I said, just bloody anyone. Welcome and hello. Basically, we just want you to listen to the podcast. So thank you for being here. Yes. (laughs) And it's probably a good time to remind people about our use of the word queer. So obviously some people have a bit of a problem with the word queer and we totally get it. Like for some people it was used as an insult, it was shouted at them in the playground. It is not a word that inspires a sense of empowerment. But for us, for Stu and I, we really like the word queer. We feel that it's expansive, it's fluid, it really represents the whole spectrum of the queer community. So please know that we're using this word in only, of course, a really positive and empowered sense. And we hope that if you do find the word problematic that you can still stick with us and you know let us know we'd love to hear from you please do get in touch if you have any thoughts we actually have a fabulous way that you can even leave us a voice note now oh, so if do. you have a look in our show notes you'll find a link to be able to leave us a little voicemail yeah you can blur on at us and then we will play it on the show so please do yeah have a look um so let's get into the episode today Stu. how are you what's going on in the oakley clan at the moment Oh, the Oakley clan are okay. We're fine. We're in our little tartans, like doing a little jig um, <laughs> as we do. Um, it's it's all been good, and I've been really enjoying. So we have our we we've got our social channels, our app from Gay to Z channels, and been really enjoying chatting to fellow queer parents about some of the the breaking news stories that that we've had recently in the in the gay world. Yes, Stu has done a brilliant job with setting up our Instagram. So please do give us a follow at From Gay to See on Instagram. And we've been sharing like news and views as it happens. I think that's what we're going to do today, right? We're going to go into it. You can be you can be one of those journalists that uh, does the paper. Have you ever done that? <gasps> yes. Oh my god, I've always wanted to do that. You know where you get like booked to go on like Sky News and sort of shuffle papers and be like, oh, this hilarious story of the Sunday Times made me think, blah blah blah. <laughs> so I'm so up for that. Maybe this could be my audition for doing that, and I will actually find my glasses. And I will clean them and I'll put them on, especially. I don't have for any glasses. Segment. I feel I should do it. I need to find some papers to shuffle and do mm. my best kind of like Moira Stewart like job. And if we and if we were American right now, no offense to any Americans listening, but if we were American podcast, we'd have like some kind of like buzzer we'd hit now that would have like doom, like some kind of yeah. like super special effects, but we don't. I know, we're we so don't. cheap, we can we can't afford a buzzer. Karis oh, <laughs> is listening, our producer. Maybe they can find something that we can uh, we can pop on at some point. That we can add in. Right, I'm getting my papers out, Lottie. I'm giving them a (laughs) shuffle. And first up, we have the results of a new survey by BMJ Global Health. Ooh, sounds fancy. Um, Who did a survey across 34 countries, and yes, including the UK and the US. And it has shown that children with same-sex parents fare as well, if not better, than children with straight parents. I mean... Tell us something, Lottie, that we didn't already know, right? (laughs) Right. Um, And a lot of our followers felt the same, highlighting what we've spoken about before and that we mentioned our book, that yes, the queers really want it. We really want kids. And so we have to plan. We have to think about it. We have to emotionally be fully invested before any kind of insemination or 
application or anything is kind of filled out. Mm -hmm. So I, I would agree with that. I think we do a bloody amazing job. So when I first read this story, I too was just like taken in by the validation that it provided. But then what I found really interesting was that I'm on this mm. uh, Rainbow Families WhatsApp group and someone on the group sort of shared it. And then this counter narrative emerged, which I was like, oh, my God, that is so true. I really do agree with this. And it's sort what of was questioning. The count- yeah. What okay, was the so it's questioning like the intentions of the survey, because if you read the article, mm. the BMJ, which stands for British Medical Journal, says... Contrary to many concerns, our review found that most family outcomes were similar between two family types. Sexual minority families have better outcomes in some domains, blah, 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 blah. And it's just icky, like that language, contrary to many concerns. It's almost like people were actually genuinely concerned about the welfare of children born to queer parents and that's why they did the survey in the first place. And so I think like what the people on this WhatsApp group were pointing out that it was that sort of intention, that like well-meaning, but actually kind of potentially veiled homophobia that was problematic. And I mean, thankfully, of course, they were proved wrong, but it does tap into that sort of very like Mm. learned, very middle-class and well-to-do freedom of speech loving, we're just asking the question, kind of homophobia that is so rife at the moment. But it doesn't surprise me though, because that kind of... That many, I mean, look at the society we're living at the moment. Drag queens have been banned in Tennessee in performing in front of any kind of children or daytime oh, or so something. Crazy, I think it is. It? It's just insane. That is the world that we're living in, where there's mm. such a fear about being different to the nuclear 2.4. And you would have thought we would have got to that point where things would be different now, but they're not. So actually, I really love this article because I think, and this research, because even if it's come from the fact that it's a load of homophobes have gone, oh, let's try and, you know, prove these gays wrong. Well, you know what? In your face, because (laughs) we've come out better. So there you go. So I'm just going to hold on to that. Um, Right, listener, what do you think? Are surveys like this useful? Do they just exacerbate this sort of us and them mentality? Are they just devoting time and resources to finding out something that should just be perfectly logical and obvious to anyone who, like, isn't a bigot? Let us know what you think. Email us, lottieandstew at gmail.com. Slide into our DMs or leave us a voice note on our fancy new voice note system thing that is in our... (laughs) Show notes. Your, the system <laughs> thing. I don't know what it's called either, but you can leave a message and it's it's wonderful. Go and enjoy it. And I must say, I am enjoying our little Sky News moment, I feel. I, I feel like we're more news round, don't you think? But yeah, sure. Or like some kind of weird like spoof. But yes, but before we get too swept up in being, you know, the being the Andrew Marr show, which we're clearly not, it's time to welcome today's guest. Drum roll, please. It is Kathy Ray. Now, Kathy is a disabled single mum and she writes and speaks often on the intersection of disability and single motherhood, queerness and dating. As a polyamorous queer person with an active dating sex life, she's working to shed the stigma around sex and love as a single parent. She's passionate about equality for marginalised groups and a huge flan, fan, not a flan, <laughs> but maybe a fan of blue cheese flans, perhaps, apparently. But Kathy, hello, welcome to From Gay to Z. Thank you for having me. 
Kathy, we've got so much we want to chat to you about, but do you mind if we skip all of the normal pleasantries and small talk and things that we might talk about if we were meeting at a drinks party and just get straight into the good stuff? I'm really terrible at small talk, so that's good for me. Great. So, polyamory, parenting. How do you find the time? Is my first question. Um, at the moment, I'm not actually dating. But I was until a couple of months ago. Um, so I only became polyamorous a couple of years ago. And at first, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to find the time, right? Because I'm a single parent. I'm a solo parent. Um, I have sole responsibility with my kids. And they're young and I can't leave them alone. Um, and I work and all of that. And I was just like, how am I going to find the time for this? But I kind of quickly realized that I had so many like presumptions about what that meant and how much time I would need to dedicate to dating and specific people in order for it to be deemed a relationship or a worthy connection. And once I kind of got rid of those assumptions of like, oh no, we must meet once a week or oh no, we must um, talk on the phone for five hours three times a <laughs> week. Do you know what I mean? Once I kind of got rid of all of that, which like, honestly, like what is, what does that even mean? That That's not a sign of closeness or connection mm. or, um, or, or meaning. The, the meaning is found in the connection you have, no matter how often you connect. Right. So it's all about like, just finding out like what your availability is and what the other person's availability is and seeing whether or not that matches and also seeing how, how you're willing to kind of adapt. And I guess as over the past two years, like it's just radically changed for me. Like I'm totally fine with only seeing someone once every six months. Because would I rather do that or would I rather not have them in my life? Mm. That's really interesting. And can I just ask as well to, for you to explain potentially for our listener, because you contributed to our book. Thank you for doing so, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. Um, but my husband read the book in one of the early drafts and he was like, what is polyamorous? He was like, what does that mean? It shocked me because I was like, you're a queer man and you, but actually maybe we just have the assumption that everybody knows what all these different words mean and everything does. And, and as a queer person, you should know what every single alphabet letter in the LGBTQ plus alphabet means. So could you explain for the listener, what is polyamory? Or could you explain for my husband who might be listening? <laughs> and I mean, in the in the alphabet, there's no P for polyamory anyway, right? No, so, where is it? LGBTP, <laughs> yeah. I mean, polyamory has been around for a really long time, obviously, but um, but it only it's only very recently been very zeitgeisty. And, um, and people are just like, what, what does that even mean? And there's a lot of kind of, misinterpretation people conflating it with with polygamy um which is when you're married to more than one person at a time but yeah so polyamory just kind of means that you can have some kind of romantic connection you're open to having romantic connection with more than one person at any given time um and then that's kind of like the baseline meaning and then how you adapt that for yourself to suit your own needs and desires is like up to you so you could be like okay well i would just like to have um, a relationship with two people who um, I live with and we live as a three and that's great and that's a polyamorous relationship or you could be like okay well I want to have a primary partner who I see a lot or who I live with and then I want to have another partner who lives further away that I don't see very often or whatever however these connections emerge and develop obviously we don't prescribe it in that way it just kind of happens right 
But it's about mm. being open to that, being open to molding your relationships and not being confined by the kind of really strict rules set by society on monogamy that we can only have any kind of romantic love for one person at a time. Mm. And is it different, Cathy, to an open relationship? I mean, open relationship is when you're in a relationship, right? And so you already have that established. Right. And then you and then you then open it out to to form other relationships. Got you, yeah. But, you know, I'm polyamorous still and I'm currently single. So I would still say I'm polyamorous because okay. I know I can make that connection with more than one person. It doesn't right. it doesn't matter how many connections I have. So it's more of a sexuality than a circumstance. Yeah, I mean, there's this age-old thing of like, are you born polyamorous? Like, is it innate or is it a preference? And I, I just think, well, who cares? Like, yeah, <laughs> just enjoy it. <laughs> it just, it just works for me. Like, do you know what I mean? There's too much. Works, sometimes it, it's too much. Yeah, it works for you, and you have fun with it. So why not? Yeah. Um, and also, so tell us about your family then, Kathy. So tell us about you know your kids how many do you have and also your journey as a queer person because I'm right in thinking you started off in a in a straight uh, seeming marriage correct yeah I never kind of thought I was queer I kind of just assumed well I'm disabled and that's my thing like I don't I don't go into more than one thing being disabled is enough you know and I, di- I didn't really explore that but you know now that now that I've realized realized that I'm queer you know, looking back, there were, you know, I used to draw boobs all the time. I would be, <laughs> I would be endless, who doesn't? <laughs> I would be endlessly like obsessed with tight fitting dresses on my favorite pop stars and things like that. And I just thought that was normal. And yeah, it is normal. But there, but there was definitely a sign that you know, heteronormativity was kind of enforced upon me, or rather, it was something that I kind of fell into rather than something I really believed and so yeah I got married and I got married to um, a straight guy and um, and we had a, a monogamous relationship but after that ended I kind of like lost my faith in men a little bit which would have contributed to my realizing I was queer as well I think looking back I was so desperate to fit in and that was a very easy way for me to pretend I fitted in. And so um, it just seemed obvious that, okay, yeah, I'm heterosexual. Yeah, I go after, you know, Hollywood kind of good-looking guys and that I can't ever get. And then, uh, and then that's just kind of my path because that is what we do as heterosexual women. Mm. But then the more also, the more I hung out with women, straight women, especially after I became a mother, actually, the more alienated I felt in those spaces as well. Really? And I realised, okay, this, this, mm. like, none of this feels like me. Mm. So you've, you've recently contributed to a book, which is brilliant, and thank you for getting them to send it to us because absolutely loved it, called We've Got This, mm. a collection of essays by disabled parents. Um, so for you, how does being disabled affect you as a parent, if at all? Oh, it does massively. Um, um, so there's kind of two sides. Well, there's a lot of sides to it. The main sides are like the ableism I face within the parenting community, the kind of looks of shock and and awe and admiration that I get from uh, other parents who are like, "Oh my God, she can't be a parent. What?" 
because they have to jump over several hurdles in order to kind of recognize what's presented in front of them. Disabled mum, disabled kids, single disabled mum doing it by herself mm. with disabled kids. It's like, wait, but disabled people don't have sex. Obviously they do. Well, not obviously, but they did in this case. Um, and wait, but disabled people can't reproduce. Yes, they can. Wait, but disabled people can't even look after themselves, let alone kids. Yes, they can. You know, there's like a lot of hurdles for them to suddenly. The mental gymnastics are like. <laughs> I was going to say, you need like a gold medal, oh a hurdling gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> Just like. Whoop, whoop. The mental gymnastics are, yeah, are something. There's a lot of assumptions around what I can and can't do as a parent. Obviously, there will be things that I struggle with, um, physical things that I struggle with with my children. And for the most part, we adapt, and then for the rest of it, we leave it, and we learn as we go, just like any other parent, right? But there's a there's a kind of thing, there's this undercurrent with um, non-disabled parents, especially non-disabled white women specifically, that they want to fix things. And so quite often, I'll have other parents intervene without me asking or make assumptions, um, trying to help under the guise of trying to help and be a white saviour or whatever. Um, but actually, you know what they're doing is quite harmful because they're removing my voice and my agency so that happens quite a lot as well so I have to kind of be careful of that dynamic mm. and then you know there is the practical side where like you know I do have less spoons less energy than mm. a disabled parent might um you know I do get more back pain I can't necessarily lift my child out of a dangerous situation if there is one um, depending on the, the situation or whatever, there there are certain things I can't do. And so, but like anything in my life, it's always just been where you find your way around it. Disabled people are like the most adaptive and um, resilient people I know. Like we have had to customize our entire world for since we started breathing. And so parenting is just another facet of that. And once you let go of this idea that you must be some kind of perfect parent where you do X, Y, and Z and you're able to do um, ABC for your kids, you know, it's quite exciting because you get to mould it into whatever you want, really. Yeah, which is something we talk a lot about on the show and about being queer parents generally is sort of finding your own way and the freedom that comes with not being part of heteronormative traditions and, and how kind of liberating that can be when you kind of embrace it so we're going to take a short break but we'll be right back with the amazing kathy ray hello we're back speaking to queer polyamorous disabled writer and activist kathy ray so kathy you sort of mentioned there about like being at the school gates and this white savior thing and people trying to help and i find that so interesting and so nuanced because i can imagine i can so imagine the type of person that really thinks that they're doing you a favor and is sort of trying to sort something out for you or or help you in some way that you feel like is actually taking your agency or taking your voice. And I wondered if you could give us a few more like specific examples of that and talk about your experiences at the school gate. Because how old are your kids now? They are nearly nine and five. Okay, so you're like right in primary school land, right? Yeah, we are right in primary school <laughs> land. How um, has it been for you? And like, what's your experience of that been? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been tricky. I mean, luckily now everybody kind of knows who I am, right? Because I've yeah. been I've been doing this radio for four years since my first began at that school. 
Um, and they also know that they can't really mess with me because they understand my personality now as well. <laughs> and, so, and so I, you know, I get greeted by the mums who are friends and I, I get ignored by the mums I don't like. And that's fine. Like, yeah. uh, that's how I want it. Um, uh, but I'm very kind of quickly in and out. And I also don't do much of the school run. And that is intentional on two fronts. Like, one, because I don't have time because I'm working. But two, because... I just find that environment really, really overwhelming. Right. Going on a school run, for me, and mm. probably for many um, people listening, in fact, is a bit like walking, it's like walking into the playground naked and everyone else is dressed. Right. Because all eyes are on you, um, all eyes are judging you, and trying to find the flaws in you. Even when that doesn't happen, even when it's like a quite good day, we're like, I don't know, no one stares at me or whatever. I'm just so aware of the optics and the power imbalance mm. and the, the the kind of societal unspoken pressure that nothing should go wrong in my time there because otherwise it could all fall apart easily and all these white saviors might pop in and, you know, it'll, it'll like blow up and I just don't want it. I don't want any attention like that. Mm. So exhausting. And actually, that brings us on to something else I wanted to ask you about, which was something you posted on Instagram that really, um, really resonated, where you said we don't have to be proud all the time in order to be a good disabled person. We can be sad and angry and frustrated sometimes, too. And you talked there about this idea of having to be a perfect example of a disabled parent and it's something Stu and I talk about as well as queer parents of feeling like you've got this ex extra judgment and you've really got to be perfect I guess my question is what advice would you have for someone that's feeling that yeah it's really it's really tricky because we feel it all the time and um and I'm definitely guilty of trying to uphold a, a standard that I uh, that just isn't I'm not able to consistently uphold um, yeah. for a number of reasons and I think we all are to to different extents right because we all have bad days we all have days where it just doesn't work mm. it's about just acknowledging that we all go through that and it's all right and you know we're not failing the disabled community we're not failing ourselves uh if things go wrong and if we do need help we're not failing anything like that's a big thing in the disabled community quite often we can be we can be resistant to asking for help because of the way that white savior dynamic works you know quite often when somebody offers me help or or comes in and tries to help actually i do need a bit of help just it might not be the help that they're offering or it might not be as much as they're offering or blah 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 and so but quite often what i'll do is i'll just say no no i'm fine i'm fine but actually i could have done with a tiny bit of help but right they've they've blown it into this huge thing where you know they just want to be a savior and look good I'm like, I'm not giving you that satisfaction. I'll do it by myself. Yeah, I can right? imagine. And I'm just stubborn. I don't know. I think the more sure you feel in yourself, the the better this stuff comes. And and as I said, like over the last four years, it, it's it's come to me a lot more. Yeah, it just, I don't know. I don't know how to end that sentence. <laughs> That's right. You <laughs> when <laughs> when you and you talk about it feeling like quite, you know, it's overwhelming experience being at the school gate and things like that. Something I wanted to ask, and I wanted to ask it in the most honest way that I can, is how do you also, what are your feelings on other children as well? Because I feel that's something I want to ask as almost like advice for me as a parent, 
because it's always that difficult balance I find. And I don't think I've got it quite right yet. And so I wanted to get your advice of, you know, kids are curious. They want to know more about the world. They do see more disabled people on TV now, not as much as they should do, but there is, you know, especially my lot when they watch CBBS, CBBC are quite good at, you know, having different representation on. But when they see a disabled person, there's almost that thing of that they're curious and they're asking questions. And sometimes I don't know the right way to answer it or to Mm -hmm. deal with it. And is that something you've experienced? And sorry to put it back on you because that shouldn't be the way it is. But like, what would be your advice of parents who want to do the right thing and but they have kids who are really curious and appointing or asking really loud questions in front of the person and like how would you suggest dealing with those kind of situations so firstly i'd say that curiosity is great and should never ever be squashed or dismissed or invalidated because that those reactions build um like a shame they the kids associate that with a shame that's a shame Mm. Like I can't right. ask. Yeah. That must mean that it is shameful to be disabled or there's yeah. something embarrassing yeah. about that. They very quickly make that connection and and then already they're othering that disabled person, right? Uh-huh. Um and so curiosity should always be celebrated. And I know that can be really overwhelming, especially if the disabled person is literally right there. Because you're like, fuck, I really want to say the right thing. But you have to let yeah. go you go in that situation. Like, you are going to get it wrong. And probably, uh, like, you are going to say some things that are wrong. But also, if you speak from the heart, like, you can't go that wrong. So, like, if I give you an example, quite often, I'll be walking down the street and a kid will be walking with their mum or whatever. And they'll say to their mum, why is that lady short? And the mum will shush them, um, (laughs) which is, like, the worst reaction ever. Uh, Or, like, even worse, like, yank them away. Like using physical right. kind of yeah 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 um, shame. I think we kind of we often think oh well this is just too big a conversation for me to deal with in this moment right. Mm. But actually we can boil it down a lot. So it depends on the on the age right. So let's say it could this, be the perfect moment right to deal let's, with it. Let's say yeah. I don't know yeah right it's a perfect moment. Let's say there's a five, four or five year old there. So you bend down to their level first of all, and then you just say, oh that lady is short because that's the way she was made just like you were made taller than her, just like I was made taller, just like you were made with brown hair, just like I was made with black skin, whatever, right? You say that kind of stuff. And and mm. then and then usually the kid might leave it or because they, they don't need something deep. They just need something like that. That's just how they were made. That's it. And then it's like, okay, I accept it. It's not criticism until you until you manufacture that into criticism yeah I think that's yeah. so powerful Kathy thank you so much for explaining that like I, I sort of knew that but it's just been so great to hear you articulate it and I do feel like you know it's so familiar that just like Shh, don't say anything come over here don't mm. and like actually why like let's lean into these awkward moments as parents because bloody hell there's so many of them aren't there mm. and like right. actually to just face into it and be like you're going to encounter these people in your life let's not turn this into like a moment of shame let's let's you know I mean would it be too far to like say well let's go and talk to her let's ask her or like yeah. you don't want to put someone definitely, in an awkward position definitely don't don't do that yeah but like I, I guess it's like you know like the awkward thing then is like for the 
you're feeling like as the parent like that person's heard you you want to but then I guess that comes back to like I'm in that situation I'm looking after my own comfort rather than the disabled person and like that's what I need to challenge about myself right like yeah I'm trying to make this better for me by showing the disabled person that oh I'm actually really woke and totally fine and actually maybe as you say that disabled person is busy yeah. they've got as somewhere I said to go beginning, you have to let go of your own ego like the disabled person might be annoyed they might not they might not even agree with what I'm telling you right now yes but um mm. and they might walk away and that's yeah. fine because ultimately what they think doesn't matter. You'll probably never see them again. Yeah. Well, in school you might do, but like you'll probably never see them again. But the point is, this is an education moment for your child. Yeah. We're trying to build a better world for the next generation. You cannot placate every disabled person because we're all different. Right. Yeah, of course. So, Kathy, we're running drastically out of time, and I know that you've got to dash as well, but... Um, we wanted to ask you a few quick fire questions, if that's okay. Some fun sure. kind of parenting quick fire questions. Yeah, I'll ask the first one. Kathy, Go what on them. from your own childhood would you most like your own kids to love as well? I would love my kids to get into reading The Famous Five and The Secret Seven, oh, which oh. were just massive in my childhood. Okay, Kathy, what is your? what would you say is your most, I suppose, toxic parenting trait? All the things that I advise on, I sometimes do myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I know they're wrong. Okay. So true. <laughs> and then finally, what would you say is the most fabulously queer thing that you have done with your kids? Fabulously is probably the wrong word for this specific thing. But we went to like a, a memorial um, for Brianna Gay recently. Um, and I mean, it was fabulous, but I would, mm. the word fabulous, yeah. incredibly moving and touching. And it it provided an opportunity for my me to talk about my kids and how trans people are treated and things like that. That was very natural. And, um, and because they were there at the memorial and everybody, you know, there was a lot of emotion there. I felt like it made a really big impact. Mm. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, the book that you have a essay in is out now, I believe, available from all good bookshops. It is. Um, it's so... one of four books I've contributed to this year. Oh, God, you've been busy. <laughs> Check been you, busy. Kathy. Um, <laughs> and thank you again so much for your amazing contribution to our book, The Queer Parent. We really um so thrilled to have you in the book. And, yeah, thank you so much for joining us and have a good day. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kathy. Lottie, do you know, we have been neglecting our role as agony aunts. I know they were the most completely useless agony aunts to have ever walked the, I don't the, know. the face I think of the we planet. Were some good advice. I think the best advice we gave was when it was from somebody else, an expert <laughs> who uh, gave us the answer, to be honest. But we didn't, because we haven't done our problem shared. No, we need to do it. So, um, yes, we have one that's been sent in by a listener called Alice, and she's been in touch. So her wife is pregnant at the moment, and she says, I'll let her read it. Hi, Lottie and Stu. I have a question for you. My wife and I are having our first baby in May uh, and I am terrified, to be honest. Um, I feel like I have to be the strong one uh, she's carrying. But every time that I start thinking about the labor and just all the things that could potentially go wrong, I get major anxiety. Would you say this is normal? Oh, well, I would say so. 
I mean, of I don't want to be pushing a watermelon out of my nini at any point <laughs> soon. Not that I have a nini or a watermelon going, but... I can't um, believe that you say nini, <laughs> Stu. Like, can we just stop a minute to talk about... Is this, like... My sisters used to be a tweenie, and then the tweenies <laughs> launched on BBC, and you can imagine the hilarity in our house. Come on and play with the tweenies. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it was quite, me and my sister still have a, a joke about that. So yeah, my daughter's is Nuni. But anyway, yes, yeah, sorry, Alice. Yes, I think you're justified in feeling worried. I think it's a very big thing. Of course yeah. you are. It's so stressful. And I do think like I speaking to this as the the parent that wasn't actually pregnant, you know, you can feel a lot of anxiety that you're having to quash because, you know, it's your partner that is actually going to be delivering the baby so you're just having to constantly be like you're going to be fine it's going to be amazing hypnobirthing you've got this babe and actually like you go to bed at night and you just have these flashes of like what's going to happen is it going to be okay um so I would say it's totally normal everybody feels it you're probably right to be sort of putting on a bit of a brave face for your partner because I can imagine the last thing you want if you are pregnant and about to deliver a baby is your partner being like, oh my God, ah, what a nightmare. You know, that's like not what anyone's going to want. But you're valid in your feelings. And I would say, look, it's just going to happen. And one way or another, you're going to get through it. And you just have to kind of what's the phrase like when you just give yourself up to an experience like almost like you're in the sea and you're being like thrown about by the waves you just have to like lie back and like let it take you where it's going to take you Mm. because you can't fight it you can't change it it's going to be what it's going to be so you've got to sort of do a bit of like zen just like Mm. I'm in the moment now I'm riding the waves this is just going to happen it's going to play out one way or another and also almost like when you're in it when it's actually happening and you get to the hospital you're in it. And then I found that I was almost less anxious once it was all underway because you're just so in the moment with it. You're like, okay, this is happening now. It's all the build up to it and the yeah, thinking you just have and to the deal, wondering. Yeah. But there's so much anxiety about parenting, isn't there, Stu? Like we were just totally. worrying about things the whole time. I think everything that you've said is completely valid. It really is. And I think anybody becoming a parent, your life is about to change. Mm. But the one it's, you know... It, you're going to have a baby and you're going to have a child in your life and that's the thing that you've got to hold on to and know that the reasons you went into going to do this is the right reasons and it will be magical. Mm. It'll be shit at times, but it'll be magical. (laughs) Because I'm sure people, even before adoption, you know, they have a similar thing, like the day before your kid is actually going to come home, you're going to be like feeling well, so I've anxious said, right well i've said before the, the moment we were walking up the 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 driveway to our foster at uh, the foster home um where our kids were and we were going to meet them for the first time i i never felt so physically sick i thought i was actually going to throw up i was so full of nerves it was mm. insane it was insane and the amount of anxiety and stress and is everything going to be right am i going to do it right is it going to be okay and and also you know what sometimes it's not magical for people afterwards you know, you know, having depression, post-adoption depression, having postnatal depression, because that's the other thing I would say to Alice as well is don't let your feel, don't feel that if you, if it's not as magical as you felt it was going to be and you feel crap afterwards, mm. don't, don't let anybody take that away from you because it's not necessarily a biological thing. It can be very much 
that people have those feelings and those feelings are very valid regardless of if they're the ones that have given birth to a child. Exactly. And so if that is the case, do, you know, seek help, speak to people because a joke and say it's magical you're going to have a child, but it is. it can be really challenging for a lot of people, especially in that shift after a child has come into your life. Oh, yeah. Maybe we could put some useful links in the show notes of things that we found useful books. And that is a great idea. And what we'll do, and we've said it before, we'll put a link to our speak pipe. I found the term like speak pipe. Ooh, uh, is that what it's where called? you can leave us a voice note if you would like to get in touch. And if you have a problem or if you just want to tell us to shut up, then just <laughs> leave us a speak pipe note and uh, you can. It's a www.speakpipe.com forward slash from gay to z love it okay do we have time to have a little cultural chit chat because there was something i wanted to tell you about just tell me quickly because we're on school strike week it's already quite stressful but tell us is there something out there i've got i'm going to tell you two things really quickly one is a tv show for you which i think you'll enjoy Mm. it's super easy like snackable watching it's called abbott elementary it's on Mm. disney um, it's in its second season. It won loads of Emmys, I think. It's really sweet and funny. It's about a underfunded, um, what do Americans call primary school? Whatever, primary school in America. And it's the interactions between the teachers and the students. And it's just one of those sort of like comfort watches, like a bit like oh, okay, watching Friends or Parks and Recreation yeah. or like anything Love like that. It's just... The right length, you can just stick it on, have a little like, you know, it's not like laugh out loud hilarious, but the script is really good. It's very witty. So I'd really recommend that. Then the second thing is Mother's Day. You might be listening to this when Mother's Day has been and gone. You might be listening to it just before Mother's Day, whatever. There's this sweet little new book. It's by Alison Brown. It's a picture book. It's called Amazing Mum. And it's got all different um, types of mums in it. I think, are they all bunnies? Bunny mums, possibly. Um, Bunny mums. But it's got two mums as one of the examples of mums in the book. And it's like, it could be a really sweet thing to buy your kid or like pretend that your kid has bought their other mum or something for (laughs) Mother's Day. Cute. And Stu, do you have anything cultural you'd like to bring to the show and tell classroom? Well, you know me, I'm full of culture, Lottie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The one thing I did, obviously, being a filmie that I wanted to share is that the BFI Flair Festival is running, the BFI LGBTQ+, where they celebrate lots of lovely queer films, is Mm -hmm. on at the moment. It's been on for a little while. It finishes very soon on the 26th of March. So if you're listening to this, you may have already missed it. But if not, those films are still out there and in existence, so keep an eye on them. Because aren't there some, yeah, queer parenting films? Yeah, well, there's one that's polarised, which I don't think is necessarily about queer parents, but it's by a director, amazing director called Shamim Sharif, who is a queer mum herself. So that's definitely one for your watch list. And the other one is called American Parent. And that's about two mums who are navigating questions of intimacy and kind of shifting power dynamics in a in a kind of exploration of queer parenthood. So that's definitely one Ooh, to watch, even if you miss the that. festival. Yeah, even if you miss the festival, keep an eye out for American Parent because I think it would definitely be one to watch. Okay, well, look, Stu, I can hear, like, some kind of drama happening downstairs with my kid who is off school because of the school strike. So I better go, but this has been lovely as usual and fascinating talking to Cathy and always nice to catch up with you. This has been From Gay to Z. 
thank you for listening and do please share if you've enjoyed it and obviously a personal recommendation from you is so valuable and it helps us to reach new listeners yeah and don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you listen and if you can hit rate and review in your podcast player that would also just be brilliant so don't forget you can get in touch with problem shared email lottie and stew at gmail.com or find us on the speak pipe <laughs> <laughs> bye see you later